So um, I've been looking for a dog for a while now. I've been struggling with it because no one has non-shedding dogs under 25 pounds in the state of Nevada. So yeah, there aren't many small non-shedding dogs. I think most people have like big adventure dogs here. And like, I normally am a big adventure dog person. I love Portuguese water dogs, pit bulls, Sharpays, you know, I like big beefy boys, but I'm not in the position to have a big beefy boy. And my parrot, my parrot, not my parent. Some people think I say parent when I say parrot, my parrot doesn't like big dogs either. So, um, I was on a mission to find a dog and I had given up all hope. And then I got an email back about a special boy named Zeus, who is a possible Shiapsu. I have no idea what he is. I don't think he is either of those things, but I also cannot tell you what he is. We will get a DNA test, Patreon content. We will do a DNA reveal of Zeus, but Zeus is now my dog. I got him on Betty White day, Betty White's hundredth birthday and um, donated money on that day as well, as we all should for the Betty White day. And now he is my son. <laughs> I love it. I've literally had him for 24 hours and I uh, am already in love. This modern world of science and invention is of particular interest to women. Hello and welcome to Lady History, the good, the bad, and the ugly ladies you missed in history class. Hey, Lexi, what's your favorite period movie? Listen, I want to say Jojo Rabbit, but that's like stealing your clout, but it is the best movie that takes place in a historical context. So I don't care if I'm stealing like your vibe. Jojo you Rabbit can borrow is the, my best, vibe for a sec. the best movie that takes place in a specific historical time that is not the present. Anyone who is praising Jojo Rabbit can borrow my vibe. And Haley, what is your least favorite period movie? Okay, this is not my least favorite, but I watched it over the weekend. But I realized how much the 90s version of Little Women needs, like, work. And I'm Alana, and Hollywood is actually a pretty gross city. It is. That's true. It is. Like, Anyways. very much. Yeah. Most so Betty White. Are gross. Well, Yes. And I'm think I immediately thought of Betty White's star because I remember seeing that star. Yeah. Have you all Googled like Betty White today on Google? Not today. Go I will it. say these are the things that have circulated around Jewish Twitter. Someone was like, my dad did the math and Betty White's 100th birthday on the Jewish calendar was actually like December 21st. So she is 100 or she was 100. Love that. Thank you, oh. Jewish Twitter. So go go Google Betty White. And while I just you're doing did it, that, and it's really cute. It's really okay. cute. Um, this is happening Tuesday the 18th. So post her 100th birthday. However, I think, and I've seen this is not my original thought, or maybe it is. And I collectively thought it with a bunch of people because I saw this on a lot of different social shows. <laughs> Isn't it really cute? It's just like the thank you for being a friend. Being a friend. And then like the rose petals. Anywho, I think Betty White's death is going to be a Mandela effect because on like the stand and everything, oh. it was 
like already at least for like my Harris Teeter and, and CVS, they were the magazines being like Betty White is a hundred. So I think in like 50 years or so, they're going to be like, no, but Betty White was a hundred. Like we saw the Time magazine article and everything. Like she turned a hundred, then she died. Mm-hmm. Just me thinking. And then I saw a lot of people. Cause like, I, like it was uh January 30th, like before she died, I saw it in the supermarket. January 30th, December 30th, December 30th. Right. Yeah. I'm still looking at um, January 17th as her day of birth in Oak Park, Illinois. December 30th, seeing like happy birthday, Betty White. And she was still alive. Am I nuts? You, you no, two are looking at me like nuts. I'm nuts. I'm just processing it. I just don't think Mandela effects. I have, I have questions about Mandela effects. That's oh, a whole me other too. Thing. Um, me too. But it was something that just popped into my head. And yeah, then it was like my phone listened to me and both TikTok and Instagram were like, hey, I think Betty White's death and birthday are going to be like a Mandela effect. And I was like, no, oh, I don't I like mean, that. I, maybe it popped up afterwards. It's hard to say what will be a Mandela effect while we're still in it. I will also say Betty White died on December 31st, 2021, the last day of the year. In, I'm going to be Jewish on Maine again, probably not for the last time this episode, but I'm going to say it again. In Jewish tradition, there's a word for someone who dies on Rosh Hashanah on the, like the, the last day of the year called a tzaddik. And that's like someone who was like super righteous and they had to spend an entire full year with us is kind of the idea of someone who dies on Rosh Hashanah. So I have to imagine there's something like that with Betty White having died on the last day of the year. Is there like a, like there must be a Gentile equivalent for that just for Betty White. Only for her. What happened was yeah. God said of all my children religions, you know, yeah, Judaism is the dopest traditions, but Betty White, despite being <laughs> a Christian woman, deserves to partake in one of those in her moment of death. But like, let me make it really clear to all the religions that that's what I meant to do. So I'll put it on the Gregorian New Year. There you go. <laughs> My favorite thing to come out of all of this, I saw on a Portuguese water dog Facebook group I'm in, and it was a picture of Betty White and Bo Obama that was taken when Obama was president and Betty White visited the White House. And someone was like, I like to imagine that Betty White is hanging out on the Rainbow Bridge. Like she decided to stay there to hang out with all the dogs and keep them company and like almost like running a rescue, but you know, at the Rainbow Bridge and that she's uh, gonna take care of Bo Obama until the Obamas come to get him. And I was like, That's I'm amazing. not religious. I don't believe in afterlife, but for that, yeah. I'm sold. Yeah, that's true. That's a hundred percent reality. In fact, hundred, hundred percent, hundred percent. Especially because Bo also passed this year, which yeah. is a big moment for me. I was really emotional. I had to pour one out for the homies, which means I just, my dog and I poured a water, water bowl out in the yard. And then he was like, why'd you do that? And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> you're a Portuguese water dog. He's a Portuguese water dog. Yep. Betty White's birthday should become a national holiday where you can take the day off to volunteer at an animal shelter. I like that. I'm going away, but by myself. Where? I'm not telling anybody, because I don't want him to follow me. I don't ever want to see him again. So today we're talking about the ladies 
who did the acting. That's why we talked about Betty White in the intro or who were involved in film in some way, not just acting. So, you know, women of film regard in honor of Betty White, although we planned this in advance, but now it's in honor of Betty White. A trigger warning for my story, I am going to mention some things that could be considered child endangerment, and there is a predator in the story who engages in a relationship with a minor. So if those things are not something you're in the space to hear about, just skip on ahead to Haley's story for today. You know, it is just a portion of my story, but I don't know how to tell you which part to skip to to miss it, so... And mine doesn't have a trigger warning, so you're good to go. Yeah, so just go to Haley's if if you're not in a place to hear those things. Phyllis Virginia Daniels was born on January 14th, so uh, her birthday just passed, 1901. She's originally from Dallas, Texas, and Daniels got the nickname BB as a kid and then kept it for the rest of her life. Both of her parents worked in the performance industry with her mother working as a stage actress and her father managing a theater. At the age of just four, she began her acting journey on stage with a production of Richard III. I don't know what role a four-year-old plays in Richard III. Does anyone know? Is there a child role in Richard III? Because I assume Shakespeare plays all the parts can be played by adults, even the children parts. I'm quite literally Googling it. In Shakespeare times, because, you know, they were like all parts forever were adult men. Adult men, right. But I bet like in the 20th century, they started doing... Oh, his niece, maybe? I think his niece is in the Shakespeare. Anyway, they put a four-year-old there. At the age of eight, she began working as an actress for major studios. And when she was just nine years old, she became the first person to portray Dorothy in a film version of The Wizard of Oz. And by the age of 14, she was performing in comedy shorts. Her comedy co-star was Harold Lloyd, who was eight years her senior. And let me tell you, this man was a creepy, creepy predator because they had a relationship for four years. Let's talk about this for a second. He's eight years older than her and he is her coworker and her being comfortable working with him is central to her making her money, but she's only 14. But it was the early 1900s. This man, you know, probably didn't even think anything of it because that's just how people did then. And of course, the public also thought nothing of it. So this predatory relationship was considered a highly publicized romance that the public thought was cute. Quite frankly, I think it's pretty gross that none of my sources I used online point out how creepy or nasty it is, that that's the way the world worked. All the sources are just like, they were the it couple. They were the boy and girl of Hollywood. I'm like, can we just do a little disclaimer on that? No trigger warnings on any of my sources either. So as far as I know, this is going to be the first source on the internet that tells you how gross that is. Congrats. You heard it here first. By the age of 20, Paramount Pictures had signed BB and she was cast as a leading lady in major silent films. She made a total of 50 films with Paramount Pictures because this was back in the day when they were like popping out a movie a week, you know? So she was in a lot of movies. Unlike many actresses of the silent film era, Bibi entered the talkie era without much difficulty and her career continued to blossom as the industry evolved. Paramount dropped her, but she immediately signed with another major studio during the golden age of Hollywood, RKO. Talkies elevated Bibi's career to new levels and she became a household name. She became one of the most well-known stars in movie musicals of the time, most notably the musical 42nd Street. Bibi was beloved 
By not only fans, but also by co-stars and staff on her films, she was known to lighten even the most trying situations. In 1930, she married Ben Leon, who was also a singer and an actor. And in 1935, at just 34, Bibi retired from Hollywood. She and Ben moved to England and worked in radio and stage plays for the BBC. So is that even really retiring when you still do your job? I guess BBC is like a lot less pressure than the golden age of Hollywood at the time. Her husband returned to the U.S. during World War II and enlisted in the Air Force. Bibi decided to stay back in England and launched a radio show as her contribution to the war effort. The radio show was for recovering individuals who were hospitalized because of the war. The show, Here's Wishing You Well Again, earned Daniels the nickname Auntie Bibi in England. Bibi even broadcasted during the Blitz. After the war, Bibi, Ben, and their two children started a family radio show. The radio show was adapted into two movies starring the family, and later the show was converted to a television series that ran in England for six years. In the 1960s, Bibi became ill and could no longer work. She passed away in 1971 in England, and her ashes were sent to Hollywood, where she is interred to this day with her husband. Lastly, I wanted to share a fun story quoted directly from Hollywood Forever, the cemetery where she is interred. Quote, in 1921, at age 20, Bibi Daniels was arrested for speeding. Sentenced to 10 days in jail, our Bibi made the most of her time behind bars, bringing with her such comforts as a Persian rug, catered meals from her favorite Hollywood restaurant, and a constant stream of celebrity visitors. Without missing a beat upon her release, Paramount made a film of her experience aptly titled The Speed Girl, unquote. I just think that sums up her personality. It's pretty iconic. I love it. I appreciate the Persian rug. And then I had... Whoopi Goldberg, I read um, a fun fact about Whoopi Goldberg. And I had time on Whoopi Goldberg is I'm surprised we haven't talked about her. Exactly. Already, but also, I was like, whoa, what the hell? Well, you know what I was just thinking? I think Whoopi Goldberg could be tied into an episode that isn't even technically a Hollywood episode. No, that's the other fact. That's the so other. If we make another episode for Whoopi, for Whoopi, sure. And then, because. And then do Miss Piggy today. And then you scratch the thing about putting on Patreon. We're going to make a theme, put it on the calendar so that it's like, not like we're just being like, Whoopi's an actress. Cause I feel like that degrades all the other things Whoopi is. And none of my vignettes are really about like her. One of them was kind of about her being an actress. All the others are not her being an actress. Let's hear about Miss Piggy. I got to hear Miss Piggy. Great. You'll probably get a chance to guess. And since you have to guess. The one that we don't use will either be a Patreon episode that I do, like Patreon video that we've been doing. I Patreon people, I hope you like those. Or um, I'll do a social media post with their story. Love it. I think that's fantastic. Okay. So the first clue is that they're both ladies. Ha, tricks. I know, I know, I'm a monster. Second one is they're both related to Betty White in some way. Not like familial, but like they have a connection to Betty White in some way. And then lastly, while they're serious actresses, they're more known for their comedy. No guesses. I genuinely have no idea. That's what I thought. So you guys get to pick anyway. So you get... You get vignettes, three vignettes of Whoopi Goldberg, or you get a scholarly um, tale 
of the chokehold Miss Piggy has on pop culture and how she's seen as a feminist icon. I want Miss Piggy on Maine. I want Whoopi on no. Maine too, but I want <laughs> I Piggy do want them Maine. both. <laughs> I couldn't help myself. I want them both. So when we were talking last week and I was like, yeah, I, you were like, if it's a surprise, it's an animal. And I said, yes, Miss Piggy is technically an animal. You weren't lying. I wasn't lying. lying. I'm just so happy. I had a drum roll. That's the audio. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, for those who don't know who Miss Piggy is, you kind of need a reference for the, oh my God, Zeus is coming in. Hi, Zeus. Or think of a piggy puppet with blonde hair and a friend named Kermit the Frog. So if you're a hardcore Muppet fan, friend, I get to it, Alana, don't worry. Don't worry, I cover it. Don't you worry. Um, Miss Piggy was voiced by men. So you, you're right, but, 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 but I have some rebuttals. One, she's not 100% voiced by men. Two ladies have been the voice actresses for Miss Pigs. Two, I'm going to be talking about Miss Piggy as Miss Piggy. I'm just saying there are multiple Muppet movies in which Miss Piggy and Kermit the Frog are very much in love. Why are you ruining my story? Why are you getting, is this your story? Is this your story? Did you not hear me say, I will get to it? Don't you worry. You were taking too long. You come with a theory that she's trans. Yes, but I'm not touching that one at this moment because I have a somewhat of a long one for okay, this one. So, so back to my second rebuttal is that Miss Piggy has her own Wikipedia page, wiki fans, IMDB and verified Insta, which is more than I will ever attain in my life. Lastly, Miss um, Betty White has her own Muppet wiki page and she did like a special with the Muppets. Um, and I was struggling what to do with in honor of um, Betty. And this made me smile doing Miss Piggy. So quick facts about Miss Piggy before I jump into what Alana so wants me to talk about is that she's the main cast of The Muppet Show and its subsequent movies, TV appearances, et cetera. And that show blew up in the 70s. And actually in 79, one of the creators filled us in with the whole backstory of Miss Piggy. And that's what starts to immerse us in the Muppet world. And even some of the movies like the Muppets take Manhattan and they don't, they're never like referred to as puppets, but Muppets and Muppets is like its own species almost. There's a lot, there's so much on it. There are like whole scholarly articles of like what the Muppet world means to like human society. It's great. So characteristics of Miss Piggy is quote, like being a prima donna pig. That's her from her wiki Muppets page but also a force of like hysterical wind rushing through the comedy trees. And these, all these other like aesthetic characteristics point out that she's like a stereotypical feminine side. She has that to her. And like, that could be the ideal thing you want to be a woman, blah, blah, blah. It was the seventies and we had growth. Again, literally like so many scholarly art. It's so, it's so great. I love Miss Piggy and I love her more of like how much research people have put into this one glorious Muppet. But her other polar side is more of a, like a masculine, aggressive. So you, they always play on these two parts of her. And TBH, when I was like first writing this, 
I was thinking of the TikTok trend, whereas um, a man ran by a woman, but they're like looking at Timothy Chalamet. And it's like, oh, that was a man ran by a woman or like a woman ran by a man. And it's like the woman being like, I loved like the sweet, sensual, t- like something that like, you know, it's just going to be weird. And it's probably a guy writing a romantic. I will find it. I'll put it in the show notes or link it somewhere. But Pink green ends up on r slash men writing women yes. all the time. Yes. Because there's one part in uh, an absolutely remarkable thing where his main character, who is female, says she slams her boob in a door. And women on r slash men writing women are like, I've never slammed my boob in a door. Yeah. But Hank did his research and did a Twitter text search for slam my boob in a door. So it has been done before. Like, I'm. Yeah. Yes, you are explaining it definitely better. Um, that was we're just on the an same example. page. Yeah, that was just an example, and even I, though it's not true. My thinking with Miss Piggy was that at least in the beginning, she was a lady rim by a man and now kind of has evolved somewhat. And anywho, that goes into my opening piece from it, the Washington Post. It's an opinion piece by... Uh, Alyssa Rosenberg titled why Miss Piggy is a unruly feminist hero and it was published in 2015 so it's a little old and in like scholarly like works we were taught in college and grad school that like if it's past a certain time and 2015's creeping up on it being old but I'm still going to use it and if you need time to read this article that's in the show notes pause go read come back Okay, you're back or you decided not to read. Regardless, hi, I'm glad you're here. So the article starts out with Miss Piggy and Kermit calling it quits on their romantic relationship. You happy now? Yes. And this romantic relationship actually had like a whole like public announcement and everything. Like stuff that we don't see with other fictional characters. Like you don't see Snow White and Prince Charming saying like we got a divorce over him feeding me a poisonous apple. But Piggy and Kermit got what it was due to them. And this leads into the chill cult that Miss Piggy has on pop culture. There's even a reference that she's similar to Donald Trump, which I say, yikes. Let's remember this was uh, my emphasis on 2015 and scooch a little past that. So like, if you read that part and you're like, Haley, why are you making us read this? I'm just, mm. Alyssa does write that Miss Piggy even has said, Quote, starting today, Moy is a feminist while accepting an award. I think she says moi. Moi. Is that how you say it? M-O-I. Because it's French. Moi. Moi. Yeah. Okay. Well, I wish I did the Whoopi Goldberg part now because that um, my reading skills was a huge part of Whoopi's story. So this is embarrassing. I'm going to, I'm going to redo this quote. Starting today, moi is a feminist, end quote, while accepting an award. Backing the argument with notes on how she embraces the freedom she gets as a business lady and how she worked hard for it, noting that Kermit would call her a pig, which could be seen as a rude nickname, but she's embracing it, saying, yes, I am Miss Piggy. Um, I am a pig, and pigs are great. But they also, like, split up, so maybe it did get to her. I don't know. Don't be rude to Miss Piggy. Don't be rude to anyone, honestly. Um, Don't call ladies pigs. It's not nice. Also, I found it really interesting that the author 
also uses the tone of voice that pop culture and just like us have created for the Muppets, where we start to direct questions to Muppets, like asking Miss Piggy about plastic surgery and her response being, quote, moi, moi is timeless, is ageless. And that quote goes on and on. But my point is that it's written like asking any other person. And you see in a lot of like I said, Muppets take Manhattan and other appearances by the Muppets, you are directing your voice to them. They are a real person, therefore have created this whole like inspirational realm that's a little more personable. And like Betty White also did an appearance and they talked about um, all the good stuff. I believe it's on YouTube somewhere. And another great point that this article also makes is that Miss Piggy is not exempt from being this angel sent from the Muppet gods, but also having flaws. Like I kind of mentioned before of her aggression and everything. And as Alyssa puts it, quote, Miss Piggy is vain. Miss Piggy is impulsive. Miss Piggy is violent. Miss Piggy might even qualify as basic. So I wouldn't go so far as calling Miss Piggy basic because she is not basic, but I do like this character arc of pointing out her flaws while still like praising Miss Piggy. And my sources at the bottom, there's a bunch of, there are like two books talking about how Miss Piggy is a feminist icon. Um, There's a Time Magazine article about her and also just her Instagram and then Betty White's Muppet Wiki. And if you're wondering, where's Miss Piggy now? You have not seen her on the TV because the Muppet Show is no longer running. Miss Piggy is actually at the Museum of American History with Kermit the Frog and the other Muppets here in DC. So that must be like an awkward situation. I don't know if it's like a Ross and Rachel where they're still friends and like just not knocking puppet boots, but um, they are together in DC. And I think they are on display. It was like for some anniversary that happened in 2014. So they could still be on display, but with the pandemic, I have not been to the American History Museum. I kind of want to go now to see if like they're on display. I think it's very like adding to the humanism for Miss Piggy to have flaws. Yeah, like she is vain and she can be violent, but she's a bad bitch. Yes, and they've even pointed out in like certain movies with like a lot of the Muppets, but they do the best with Miss Piggy of like giving her really humanistic qualities. Many, many miles east of nowhere lies the amazing land of Oz, a magnificent empire created in the mind of a man who wrote a great book about it. Like wildfire in a wheat field, the fabulous tale of the Wizard of Oz spread from town to city, to nation, to the entire world. Although the Wizard of Oz has captivated the children of four generations and fired the imaginations of those youthful adults who have never grown old, although 10 million copies of the book have reached eager hands and eager hearts, no one has dared the towering task of giving life and reality to the land of Oz and its people. Every delightful character of L. Frank Baum's classic is now reborn. Every glorious adventure has been recaptured and painted with a rainbow. The celebration in Munchkinland, the flying monkeys, the rescue of Dorothy, the castle of the witch, the palace of Oz, and Dorothy's strange journey to the Emerald City to find the wonderful Wizard of Oz himself. 
I'm about to bring the mood way down. Sorry, gang, except I'm not sorry. I mean, it's an important. So many trigger warnings. Suicide, drug abuse, eating disorders, physical and sexual abuse. Basically, every trigger warning in the book, resources in further learning if you or someone you know is struggling with any of those things. Um, the world is better because you are in it. Judy Garland was born Francis Gum on June 10th, 1922, a Gemini like Haley in Grand Rapids, Minnesota. I always thought Grand Rapids was in Michigan, but I am not good at geography. So there could be both. There could be Minnesota and I could be a dumbass. Many things can be true. She was the youngest of three girls who were a singing group called the Gum Sisters. And Francis was known as Baby Gum probably because she started performing at two and a half years old. In 1926, the Gums moved to Los Angeles and the Gums sisters performed on TV and radio all over. Eight years later in 1934, a TV host named George Jessel was like, y'all need Hollywood names. How about the last name Garland? And so all three sisters changed their last name to Garland and Judy picked her name Judy uh, after a Sammy Lerner, Hoagie Carmichael song. Uh, and that same year, Judy's older sisters quit singing and kind of quit public life in general. There's not a lot of information about them, uh, but if I had to guess why they left performing, it was probably because their mother was awful and had Judy on pills before she was 10. Judy would later refer to her mother as the real Wicked Witch of the West, and it gets worse. In 1935, Judy signed her first movie contract with MGM. And for those of you who are as bad at math as I am, she was 13. And she did a bunch of movies with MGM and with 20th Century Fox. But of course, her big break came in 1939 with The Wizard of Oz, which she won a juvenile Oscar for. I don't know if a juvenile Oscar is a real thing at this point, but anyways. So this was not good, actually. It was good for her career, not good for her. From the beginning of her career, studio execs pushed her towards diet pills and cigarettes and amphetamines to keep her thin and quote unquote happy. And she was repeatedly denied meals on set. There's Vanity Fair article in Further Learning about abortions in old Hollywood that claims that Judy had several, several affairs, also in air quotes. But there are reports of studio higher ups, including like one of the owners of MGM, Louis Mayer approaching her for sex and or sexual favors when she was as young as 16. So I'm not sure how many of them are actually affairs. Judy was married a total of five times. Uh, first to David Rose when she was 19 in 1941, which she did in secret, probably because the studio execs were creepy controlling fucks, but they ended up divorcing three years later. After the divorce, Judy was in Meet Me in St. Louis, directed by Vincent Minnelli, and a couple of other projects he directed, and the two got married on June 15th, 1945, the exact date I am only bringing up because their daughter, Liza Minnelli, was born almost exactly nine months later on March 12th, 1946, a Pisces. Judy and Vincent divorced in 1951. Between that divorce and her next marriage, Judy returned to her live theater roots and performed in London for several months. She had taken a break from movies because she had been suspended from several studios several times and lost her role in Annie Get Your Gun because she was chronically late. Probably because the studios got her addicted to drugs. 
Her third marriage was to Sid Luft, a former test pilot in June of 1952. And their first child, Lorna, was born that November 21st, a Scorpio Sagittarius cusp, just like Lexi. And the math on that is a little interesting, but I won't do that math for you. Sid became Judy's manager and she returned to the screen in 1954 in the original A Star is Born, which got her an Oscar nomination. The next year, Sid and Judy's second child, Joey, was born. And after that, Judy mainly stuck to stage performances where she just sang instead of acting and had a record deal, but she did do some television work and even some voice acting for an animated movie. She was Oscar nominated for a second time for Best Actress in 1961 for Judgment at Nuremberg, which is a really like historical drama, but was also kind of contemporary at the time because it was the 60s and it was kind of about, the, you know, it was about Nuremberg. In 1964, her 26-episode series, The Judy Garland Show, was nominated for an Emmy, and Judy and her first daughter, Liza, performed together at the London Palladium. Lorna and Joey were added to their act in 1967 after Judy and Sid divorced in 1964. Uh, It was really messy. They all are. Judy married an actor named Mark Heron in November of 1965, but they also got a divorce a few years later because of domestic abuse accusations that Heron insisted were, I guess mutual is the right word, but basically the idea is they were hitting each other. All this time, Judy was struggling with her addiction and depression. She went back and forth between starving herself and binge eating. Sid Sid Luft once said that she tried to kill herself at least 20 times just while they were married. She had physical health problems related to this, including a hepatitis diagnosis in 1959 that doctors said she would never be able to perform again, but she did go back to work, which makes me think that the hospitalization might have been a cover for an abortion, Uh, but that's just me saying that. And if you read the Vanity Fair article, that was something they did a lot in old Hollywood. was they would say that these women were going in for like appendectomies, but actually they were getting abortions. But there's nothing behind that. That's just me being suspicious. Judy kept touring through the 60s and in January and then March of 1969, she married her fifth and final husband, Mickey Deans. The validity of the first ceremony uh, in January was kind of sketchy. So they were just like, all right, we'll do it again. Of the marriage, Judy said, finally, finally, I am loved. On June 22nd, 1969, Judy Garland died of an overdose in her London home. It is widely regarded as accidental, but there's really no way to tell. She was just home from a very successful tour of Northern Europe and her friends said that she seemed happy, but the fact is we cannot possibly know what she was thinking. Judy was and remains a gay icon in the 1960s saying that you were, quote, a friend of Dorothy was kind of code for a gay person, among other gay people. Her funeral has been cited as one of the catalysts for the Stonewall riots because they happened the same day. But in my opinion, that's, I mean, it's not true, but also in my opinion, it's kind of dismissive of what Stonewall actually was and what it accomplished. Um, Anyways, for more on Stonewall, go back to season one, episode 39, our Fruit Loops Just Gay Cheerios, And for more about Judy as a gay icon, there are a couple links in further learning. Uh, The Mountain Goats, 
also have a song called The Autopsy Garland that's about her tragic life and death and is appropriately morose. And that song will be on our YouTube playlist. I was asked to mention that. And so I did. Lights, camera, action. You can find this podcast on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram at Lady History Pod. Our show notes and a transcript of this episode and our merch will be on ladyhistorypod.com. If you like the show, leave us a review or follow us on Patreon. And if you don't like the show, keep it to yourself. Our logo is by Alexia Ibarra. You can find her on Instagram at girlbum.productions. Our theme music is by me, GarageBand, and Amelia Earhart. Both Haley and Lexi are doing the editing. You will not see us and we will not see you, but you will hear us next time on Lady History. week on lady history it's the power to the people we're talking about some activists and people who have changed the world